stand with me as we read a prophecy, the words of God to Redeemer Church this morning. Psalm 119. We're going to consider verses 1 through 8. <coughs> Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. You may be seated. Before we get into each of these verses, I want to tell you a little bit about this longest song in in the book of Psalms. Psalm 119 uses eight different words uh, to describe God's Word. This is a song, a long song, about God's Word. And not only does it use eight different words, it's, it's composed in such a way that each of these stanzas or paragraphs have eight verses in them. Again, to reflect God's attention on His Word. And it's organized according to the Hebrew alphabet. So right above Psalm 119, you see perhaps in your translation the word Aleph, which is the A of the Hebrew alphabet. Next, in verse 9, you see Beth, which is the B. So each stanza uh, starts, every line of every stanza starts with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet. All of the verses in, in our passage start with Aleph. What I want you to see about this is that God is communicating something about His Word. And one thing He's communicating is that it is beautiful. He has composed it in such a way that it, it has a beauty to it. But, but it's also not random. And when you read Psalm 119 and all these verses about God's Word, it's not repetitious either. It's not just saying the same thing over and over. It's not just beautiful. It is also purposeful. So that every stanza communicates a message about God's Word. And it will just take us to 2042 to get through it as a church. Because we'll take up one paragraph each first uh, Sunday of January every year. But over the next 22 years, Lord willing, what I'm expecting is to receive 22 unique messages from God about His Word. 22 truths that we need to know about the truth. I think this will fill out our understanding of of our Bibles. And this first paragraph communicates this message. The Lord blesses those who keep His Word. The Lord blesses those who keep His Word. I just prayed out of Revelation 1. It says at the end of the Bible, Jesus says, you're not just blessed by hearing it, you're blessed by keeping it. And because it's composed in the way that it is, all starting with the letter A, our outline will all start with the letter A. Each point, adored, aim, and anticipate. 
That's what the Lord is communicating about keeping His Word. There's something about adoration, about the aim of our life, and about the anticipation we have for the future. And I want you to know as we get into God's Word this first Sunday of this new year, that what I hope the Lord will do is He will speak to those who are already making a commitment to read through the Bible this year and affirm you. And I hope that He is also going to speak to others who maybe have thought, the way that I'm going to take in God's Word is through one of these devotional books that just takes portions of God's Word. And, and I want to be clear that I'm wanting to persuade you to take in more than that devotional will give you. And for any who are here who have been hesitant to commit to reading God's Word, who do not have a plan, or who have been so discouraged in the past from previous efforts, I want to convince you to do so, to commit to reading God's Word because of how God views it. So, point number one, in verses one through three, God says that the person who keeps His Word is adored. Point number one is adored. You will, a sign that you are adored by God is if you keep His Word. Those who keep God's Word are loved by Him. This, the word blessed in verses 1 through 3 is a, what's called a divine passive. It's a, you are blessed. You've experienced a blessing from someone and that someone is God. You have experienced and received His best if you keep His Word. Verse number 1 speaks about a blessed walk. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. With God, the way that He views our Bibles is He views them like a map. It is a path, or that's what he's communicating when he says, it is a way, a path, a map that is lined with warnings that you need to hear if you are going to live a blessed life. And if you're going to live a blessed life, you need the escape routes that are only lined out in God's way, his map, the Bible. It will lead you to becoming blameless, verses 1-3 through says. That means to be complete, to be whole. And the Bible is essential to becoming blameless. The only way you as a human who has been made in God's image can live in His world and become blameless is if you avoid sinning against Him And because you cannot totally avoid sinning against Him, if you find atonement, and the sacrifices that are needed to wash away your guilt from your sin, that's how we become blameless. And the Bible is the only way that we can learn how this happens. Verse 1 unpacks the blameless way. God says... We are to walk in His law or live according to His instructions. You are probably familiar with the clarification that people give that 
you're not really understanding what Christianity is if you just think about it in terms of a religion. You, you have to understand that it's not just a religion that is impersonal. Christianity is about a relationship. But you do not know everything about Christianity if you just know that little phrase. Christianity is not just about a relationship. It is also about a walk. Christianity is active. Christianity is passive. That relationship, whatever it is, it's, it's one that we take exertion to develop. We do something. When God speaks of the person who walks according to His Word, He is saying that your life outwardly, what people observe, should be that you live according to God's law. It should be evident to those who love the Lord that you have a manual and your life is living out that manual. It should be evident to the people around you in the way you walk. But in verse 2, it speaks about an inward resolve that we must have. If we're going to treat God's Word the way that we should, our whole heart, it's not just an outward thing that others can observe. It is a conviction of the heart. It is not just a mental commitment. God does not just want you to understand mentally some doctrines or beliefs. The psalmist is calling us to have more than what we hear about Ephesus in Revelation. We need to have more than a commitment to truths. We have to have affections in our hearts and commitments to God that comes to us from His Word. So just be clear, when you make resolutions about what this next year is going to look like with, your, with God's Word, be really careful God is calling us to more than just being aware. Being more aware of what He has said. We are called to let God's Word influence all of our life, outwardly and inwardly. Verse 2 says that those who keep God's Word are on a blessed search. This walk that He referred to has to be a walk according to your watch. You, believer, are to be on watch. You should imagine being dropped into the middle of Mexico City. And what you would long perhaps to do if you were dropped in the middle of Mexico City is eventually you want to make your way home. And in order to make your way safely home to the ones that you love, If it were pitch dark, I mean no sunlight, you're only traveling at light, no, uh, at night, no street lights, no anything, pitch darkness, you're in Mexico City, you've got to make it way back, you're way back to Graham, you would need a light or you're not going to make it. You would need something to shine your way and you would need to watch very carefully what that light is showing you and to walk accordingly, to put your feet in the right place and not go in the wrong direction. And that light, the only thing that God has given us to make our way home is His Word. Listen to what He says in verse 2. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him 
with their whole heart. A testimony. That's one of these eight words that God uses about His Word. A testimony is His witness. His witness to those who are in relationship with Him. About this relationship that we have, this covenant that we have together. He's telling us what that relationship should be like. And we are to keep those testimonies. That witness. Keep means to watch. To guard what He says with all faithfulness. And verse 2 says that when we do that, it is the way that we seek Him. This is how you seek God. It is never detached from His Word. Because He has said, you will find Me through My Word. The form of this verb, seek, is such that it says that we have to do this in an ongoing way. It's something that we're always doing. We are always keeping His testimonies because we are always trying to seek Him. We need to pursue the Lord through careful and unending attention to His Word. And be very clear what this first stanza is saying. It is speaking about obedience to God's Word, not just awareness to God's Word. And God is saying that obedience to His Word is the way to Him. And this is why. Being consistent in taking in the Bible is absolutely essential. Being consistent. We are to always be seeking Him in this way by keeping His testimonies. We want God. That is the difference between those who really love God and those who are just pretending or who are deceived. We want God. And so we want to hear Him tell us. How is it that we can get to you, God? We want to hear Him every step of this dangerous journey that we're on in this life. We want to hear His voice reassuring us. We need to hear Him tell us of His goodness. Tell us of His love. Tell us of the great destiny that we have with Him. So I do want to encourage you to have a plan. This is a great time of year to commit to some plan to read the Bible. If you haven't done that and want help, I would be glad to help you do that. I want to encourage you to pick one, and this just may take trial and error, pick one that does not cripple you when you get behind does not discourage you because the key is sticking with it. It's an ongoing pursuit of Him by listening constantly to His testimonies that you might keep them. Verse 3 speaks of the blessed result. He says, if you live this way, you will do no wrong. So, this first section, God is saying, man... God's people can be blameless if, verse 3, we walk in God's ways. So, the Bible is our guide to vertical relationships and to horizontal relationships. To our relationship with God and also to relationship with one another. Verse 2 is emphasizing that vertical relationship. We keep God's testimonies And we will be led to God. Knowing God's Word 
leads us to knowing God Himself. It leads us to being blameless, He says. Like He is blameless. And, 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 and thus we can actually have a relationship with Him who is blameless. Charles Spurgeon said, He who walks in God's law walks in God's company. You need God's Word to have God's company. But verse 3 is emphasizing horizontal relationships, relationships with other people. He says, keeping God's testimonies will keep you from wronging other people. And this really hits to the heart of a Christian. We want not just to have a relationship with the Lord. We don't want to hurt people. So God makes really clear, what is my law? What is it that I'm commanding you to do? As Jesus summarizes, it's to love God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the summary of this law that God has written to us. And the way to do it is by giving ourselves to God's Word. A sign then that you are adored by God. How can you know? It is that you have this desire to be what the Bible offers you. Which ultimately is to be like Christ in every way. Blameless. And that, beloved, is what God has always planned for those who are in Christ. He chose us so that we might become holy and blameless. It will not happen apart from His Word. Truth is God's most trusted tool in making us blameless like Him. Sanctify them in truth. Make them holy like Me, Jesus said. In truth, Your Word is truth. So it's really important as we come to Psalm 119 and read the first stanza of Psalm 119. We're getting to the A. And you're familiar with the phrase A is for, and and, and whatever comes next. First things are first for a reason. God is emphasizing what is of utmost importance about His Word. Isn't it interesting what He is emphasizing? Verse 1 really is a summary in preparation for what the entire psalm is about. And what is this about? What is it that you need to know about God's Word above all else? You need to know it should be kept. Isn't that amazing? God's Word, what you should first of all know, is that it needs to be obeyed. It needs to be watched in every detail. It needs to be guarded from every threat and from any revisions. You've got to keep God's word. That's his first word to us. And if you're going to keep it, if I'm going to keep God's word, you have to, of course, first know it. So let the first commandment of Psalm 119 be your first commitment every single day of your life if you mean to know and follow Christ. Before you get to your day's worries, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This is the first thing. Take God's Word in. I want to encourage you to to make this 
the habit of your life to do this privately, to read God's words. Let, let His voice be the first one that you hear. But I, I think the way that Psalm 119 is, is, is presented to us, it's not just about reading, it's also about meditating upon it. That's why He's been giving this to us in, a, in an acrostic, in these ABC kind of fashion. He's giving it to us in a way that we can remember it. He wants you to meditate upon His Word, soak in it, even memorize it, make that part of your daily routine. But this is not just about private consumption of the Bible. This is about hearing God's Word. And so that must mean it's, a, 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 it's also about gathering to hear God's Word. If this is what God wants us to do, to hear it and keep it, and that's blessing. I wonder, have you made resolutions for 2020 about gathering for, for worship? Is that one of the things that you have resolved to do? How many Sundays out of 52 have you committed to gathering? Another way to ask it is how many Sundays are you comfortable skipping? The Lord blesses those who keep His Word. And we've got to be careful as such an individualistic society to know that this is not our way in the West is not the way of the rest of the world or the rest of history. People gathered to hear God's Word together. Point number two comes in verses 4 through 6. And this is about our aim. We're adored by God. One sign is if we keep His Word, we are adored by God. But verses 4 through 6 speak to the psalmist's aim. And his aim is to keep God's Word. We are moving now from how God relates to those who keep His Word to now how we should relate to what He commands. He says in verse 4 that precepts, His precepts must be performed. Verse 4 is about instructions and abundance. Precepts are instructions. That's this other word for God's Word. Precepts are His instructions. And these instructions have implications for two different parties. For for God, He gives these precepts in a way, or the precepts He chooses to give us in His Word are meant to ensure the blessed destiny for those that He loves. He has given orders in His Word that have power behind it to give us and bring us to a destiny that that He has promised to those He means to bless. But these instructions are also for us. When He gives them, He means for us to carefully follow them so that we might personally experience that destiny. Look back in verse 4. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Diligently means in abundance. Diligently means in abundance. Let me speak to two misunderstandings about life with God. One of them is reflected in the question, how far is too far? 
we hear this and apply it especially to teenagers or to, to those who are dating, who ask, who, who say they want to follow God and they ask the question, how far is too far? Can I still honor God and do this, this much with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? That is not the heart of a believer. That is not the heart of a believer. We are told in verse 4, we are to obey in abundance, which means, another word for this is muchness. There's another teenage word maybe. With muchness we obey, with full force. In other words, we want to know everything he said and we are committed to obeying to an abundant degree, not the least amount possible. That's not the heart of belief. There's a second misunderstanding that is corrected when when verse 4 says we, that God has commanded His precepts. He intends His precepts to be kept diligently. And that is that the saved are more like Rudy than they are Allen Iverson. Now, if I had better um, references to culture, I might have someone better to mention. But you know Allen... No, you don't, probably don't know who Allen Iverson is. I barely know. I may not know who he is. He's some basketball player. He was kind of famous for not practicing. Is that right, Michael? Famous for, for being lazy. He had all this skill, and he didn't work hard. Rudy didn't have much skill. You know Rudy, football movie? Rudy didn't have hardly any skill, but he had a heart that, that, that sought to do well in abundance. He would show early. He would stay late. He would miss sleep. He would forsake comforts and pleasures in order to become the best football player he could. And that's the heart of a believer. We arrange our life around knowing God and hearing His Word. No one keeps God's Word by accident. You won't do it passively. You will not do, verse 4, what God intends for you with God's Word. You will not do it by accident. You can't just roll in and this will be the one time you hear God's Word. You can't just skip a whole bunch and think that you're going to do this. You can't do it. It has to be by attention. Not casually, but by commitment. We are to keep God's Word. So that in the New Testament, James says, be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Because if you just hear it, you're deceiving yourself. You're thinking that I've done a great thing because I've read or I've heard. And he says, you're fooled. You have to do it. If you look into the perfect law of God, which reflects the perfect God, the law that frees us from this world, if you (coughs) look at the law and you hear and do not act, then you're a fool. It's like looking in the mirror and seeing some major problem that you need to attend to and then walking away unchanged. So let me encourage you from Psalm 119 that every time you have your devotional reading, every Sunday afternoon after you hear a sermon, you should be asking very specific questions. How specifically from God's Word have I been called by God to grow in what I believe? Every time you hear His Word, He gave it to be kept. And it means to be changed in what you believe, but also to be changed in how you behave. How can my life change? 
Psalm 119, this afternoon you should talk to others about what God has said about you changing your life. And after you realize how He's calling you to obey, realize you desperately need grace if you're going to. That's why verse 5 is this cry for commitment. Verse 5, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Statutes, yet another word for God's word, is these are the legally binding actions. Legally binding actions that the Lord has prescribed for everyone who's in relationship with Him. And the psalmist prays that he might be steadfast or fixed or determined, that he would make preparations to actually keep those statutes, to carry out those prescribed actions of what it means to be in relationship with Him. Maybe you're dieting at the beginning of the year. If you've had any success in that, you know you have to make plans. You have to plan out what you're going to eat. You have to go and shop for the right things and not the wrong things. And then you have to actually be prepared. You have to prepare these things so that they're on hand and you're not reaching for the wrong things. And and the psalmist is saying that's what it means to be steadfast. To be so determined that you're making all the preparations to follow what God says. Verse 5 is this transition from the psalmist observing true things about God's Word and about how He relates to people in in His Word. It's just objective truths out there. Verse 5 then, it comes home. It's about His subjective experience of those true things. What He's saying is, because God commands, God's commands are to be obeyed, and because the obedient are blessed... He he understands now what his aim, the aim of his life is. The psalmist is now committing to keeping God's word with diligence. May I do that then? I don't want to just know that it's true for some people. I want this. The truth about God's word in verses 1 through 4 leads to a prayer for personal commitment. And this is another great guide to how you should study God's Word. It should lead you to praying that you would experience what you've just read. This is the prayer of someone who's humble because he knows how limited he is. If I have to be blame, if this, if, 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 if I have to keep your Word in order to be blameless, in order to be blessed by you, and I'm so weak, oh, oh God, may my ways be steadfast. This is also a prayer that honors the God that we want to know. It honors Him because He's the only one who can give us strength in order to do this. It's also a prayer that that reflects a hope for those who know they're not blameless but who desperately want to be God. Help me! Make my ways steadfast in keeping your statutes. So, as you enter into this new year, And you approach God's Word according to God's Word. Think about how good you are at keeping it. Blessed are those who keep it. How good are you 
at keeping it. And I hope you're feeling like you're not that great. I hope that because it will make you pray. So the real question is, how much do you pray that God would help you to keep his word? That's what the psalmist does. Verse 6, we get this additional blessing of keeping God's word. (coughs) Notice he says, all of the commands of God lead to having no shame. I trust that you know what it means to feel ashamed. Freud would tell you that's a false guilt. The world will tell you, you have friends who will tell you, don't feel bad about what you've done. But we know that shame comes from somewhere and it comes from sin. When we sin, there is a guilt. And, and, and sin comes from unbelief. We sin whenever we don't trust that God's ways are better. And so the psalmist is saying, I don't want to be put to shame. Elsewhere, he, 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 he connects this in Psalm 31 to not being put to shame, but, but instead, God delivering him. The psalmist is experiencing danger. You see that in verse 8. He's facing some danger. And he doesn't want to be forsaken. He's got troubles and trials in his life. And he wants to be delivered from them. And we don't know what the next year holds. But we can be confident there are trials and troubles that we will face. And God is telling us that steadfastness with His Word will save you from the experience of shame, from being led in sin, from not trusting the Lord and then going your own way. He says in verse 6, Then, after I have been steadfast, if I will be steadfast in keeping His statutes, then I will not be put to shame. So that Jesus says, In keeping His words is great reward. If you want to be rescued from every danger, then you have to resolve by God's grace to know and obey all of His Word. All. A Christian is not a minimalist. When I fix my eyes on all your commandments, I will then have no shame. All. Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? My words are meant to be the foundation of your life. All of them. Not that we should glance briefly at His Word, but we should gaze intently at His Word. Our eyes are fixed on it. John Wesley said, I want to know one thing. I want to know the way to heaven. He has written it down in a book. Give me that book. At any price. Give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. To be totally clear, that book is not Facebook. And some of us, including me, need to not be on Facebook as much. 
Because that will get in the way of you knowing all. He says all of God's word. You have to have your eyes fixed upon it. The Lord blesses those who keep his word. Point number three. We have not just the declaration that we are adored by God if we keep his word. We have also the psalmist's aim of life that he would keep his word. But then in verses 7 and 8, we have his anticipation that if he keeps his word, then he will be kept by God. Verses 1 through 3, God blesses the blameless if they keep his word. Verses 4 through 6, he saves those who are steadfast in keeping his word. And verses 7 through 8, those who keep the Lord's word will be kept by him. You see this future focus, this anticipation reflected in verses 7 and 8. Those who keep God's word can expect two things. Number one, I will praise the Lord because I will then understand that you have ruled for me. That's what he's saying. He's saying that God's righteous rules will right our hearts. and, and, And when God's righteous rules make our hearts upright, we will then be able to do what we want to do, which is praise the Lord. Rules or rulings, I think it's the picture of a courtroom and what a judge decides and how his decisions impact the life of those under his rule. And the psalmist is saying, as I learn your ways and as I walk in your ways, I will also discover the decisions that you have ordained for my life were good and praiseworthy. As I learn your word, then I can actually receive the things that you hand to me which have been hard. Because your word has shaped my heart and has guarded me from sin and has made me pursue righteousness. I will then praise you for how you have acted in my life. And you need this. And I need this. To commit to knowing and keeping God's word so that we can learn to trust his heart. And we won't accuse him when he hands us hard things. Don't you want to avoid what has happened to so many who become bitter, who doubt God, who, who ultimately leave Him. Or the God that they're saying they worship is not the God of the Bible. We will know <coughs> He is keeping us through every hardship so long as we are giving ourselves to obeying His Word. Because it's in those moments where we need to be reminded of His character and His goodness. This is something we learn. The psalmist says. We learn not to question His intentions. We learn not to question His decisions. From His righteous rulings and and His Word. His providences, the things that He does in our life may seem very dangerous to us 
what the psalmist is saying is so long as you keep knowing him through his word by keeping his word, then you will discover that all of his decisions have not been dangerous, but they've been exactly what was needed to protect you. And the second thing is the other side of the coin. Verse 8, he says, I will keep your word. Do not forsake me. The greatest threat is not having to endure difficulties in our life. You've got to get this. It's not escaping the hardships of this life. That's not the hardest thing. The hardest thing would be to be forsaken by God. He knows that the Lord is God and therefore obeying Him is essential to a relationship with Him. Think about this. He's God. If you're going to have a relationship with God, you have to obey Him. Obedience is essential to that relationship. And that obedience will show a relationship. And all those who are in relationship with God will never be forsaken. That's the blessing that comes to those who keep God's Word. is to not be forsaken by God. To not fall away from Him. As we've gone through the Psalms somewhat recently, every time we come to a Psalm, we, we, we talk about how the Psalm is sung by Jesus. That this was His song. And we also talk about how each Psalm sings of Jesus. I want to remind you of something that I preached when I preached the whole book of Psalms in one sermon. And that is that the Psalms are more like a musical than a jukebox. They're not just random, disconnected songs. They're more like a musical in that there are these five volumes in the Psalms of songs that tell the story of how God saves His people by His King. So let me just remind you, book 3 ended with God's people being cast away from God because they had kings who didn't follow God's Word. (coughs) Book 4 ended with a promise that God Himself would come and save His people out of their distance. Book 5 begins, and that's where we are in book 5. It began with the return of the king. All of a sudden, David, whose, whose last psalm was Psalm 72. All of a sudden, when he says, my prayers have ended in Psalm 72. All of a sudden, in, in Psalm 108, it says, now we're talking about David again. He's returned. And what the psalms are communicating is, is that God is going to save His people from their sins through the son of David. So that when we get to Psalm 119, with the return of the King, we have the return of God's Word. This is the King who will, according to Deuteronomy, meditate on God's Word day and night. Psalm 119 is mainly about Jesus. He's the one who mainly keeps this. He is the King who will know the commandments of God, it says, and not turn to the right or to the left. So that, listen, here's the promise, He may continue long in His kingdom. He And his children. When the king and the word are back together again. Psalm 119 sings 
of the son of David who will not do what is evil in God's sight. He, it sings of a king who will not leave us distant from God, but who will bring us home to God. So that when we read Psalm 119, and we end in verse 8 with a cry, do not forsake me. And we know that Psalm 119 is mainly sung by Jesus who did cry, why have you forsaken me? We should be encouraged that Jesus, our King, was forsaken even though He kept every word. And on the cross, He died for those who did not keep His word. And now He's been raised such that we can read Psalm 119 differently. His blood has broken the power of sin, really. His blood has cleansed our hearts so that God Himself can live inside of us. He has raised us from our spiritual death so that we might actually know God and read Psalm 119 as the saved. When you think about the Bible, what is the first word that comes to your mind? Psalm 119 comes to us and says that the Son of David saves us so that we might listen to God and not just listen. The word that's repeated over and over, the first word God gives us about His word is to keep it. Which we need His help to do. And our keeping of His word will signal His keeping of us. The Lord blesses those who keep His Word. (coughs) Father in Heaven, we pray that You might make us wise. We pray that we would understand that Christ is the only one who kept this perfectly. And if we will not be forsaken, it will be because we are blameless. And the only way to be made blameless is through His sacrifice and work on our behalf and giving us His records. We pray for any here who doesn't know Him, that they might be made blameless. And for those who do, God, we pray that we would understand this Word comes to us and it comes to us with the power of our King. And we pray that by His grace, we might keep Your Word. We ask this in Jesus' name.